0: Come on, you sissy, be a man. Don't cry. Grow some muscle, you puny wimp. Real men are ripped. Kick his ass. What? You ate a salad? Fucking rabbit food. Real men eat meat, and only meat. Cooked over a fire, on a stick. You want that woman? Fucking fucker! What? She said no. So what? Inside, every no is a yes waiting to come out. You just gotta get it. Get it out of her by getting it in her. Know what I mean? We all know what toxic masculinity is. Or do we? Why is it suddenly a thing the media is obsessed with? And is it really a new phenomenon at all? Where does it come from? Is it simply an inherent aspect of being a male? How is it taught? How is it reinforced? How is it represented in the stories we read and watch? How do we diffuse it? What is the antidote? Join me and my intrepid co-host, Jen Zuko, as well as some other guests, as we embark on another semi-drunken exploration of the intersection of literature and society, as we discuss problematic, toxic masculinity tropes. Okay. So, um we're going to have a fun time tonight because oh. we we don't have an s es- we don't have an essay and we don't have an outline.
1: No, I mean besides what you and I have maybe done singularly.
0: Yes. So without
1: consulting each other, but I don't I don't got jack shit. I just have the idea. So, I got the concept.
0: Okay. So in this case, I think it would actually be a good idea um because I have an idea of what the concept is. Um, of what I think the concept is judging from the, uh, the paragraph description that you had,
2: mm-hmm. which
0: I'm trying to find because I can't remember it off the top of my head from the writer's HQ website.
1: Uh, no, it wouldn't be on there. It would be on, uh, my, my
0: blog. Oh, so that's why I'm having a hard time finding it.
1: Yes. Because it is not on writer's HQ. Writer's HQ is the one who is, um, publishing them. But they are on hiatus with me right now, so they do not have okay, any so of them after Where James Bond.
0: on Daily Cross Swords do I find that then?
1: Just do a search for problematic masculinity and you'll find it probably. You may have to scroll, but
0: problematic mask. I'm so fucking
1: tired right now. Oh my god. I'm just gonna whine at your listeners while you're looking up the That's okay.
0: paragraph. What's uh
1: <laughs> why I'm are you so, so tired sorry. today? Oh, I had really bad sleep this whole weekend.
0: Oh.
1: It was a weekend of much, much emotional sortings out.
0: Right, right. So. Okay, I've got it here. So for the sake of the listeners, let's go with the the paragraph that you had. Now, if they're looking at, if they happen to be looking at or have found um, your list of tropes for this series on your website, Daily Cross Swords, they'll notice that we've flipped— Seven and six.
1: Yes. Oh, that's a good point. Yes, we need to make that clear, and and, we should tell them why. Because it was your idea, and I totes endorse it. I think it's a great idea, and I think you're right
0: about it. Number, you had you had as number six, which would have been originally been tonight's discussion. The the trope violence is normal. Yes. And. My, my suggestion was that should be moved to number seven because that one kind of encompasses a little bit of it encompasses everything. encompasses
1: all of them pretty much. And yeah. if we mm-hmm. put
0: Mr. Mom last, that kind of is slipping back into something else. Right. And right. so we, if we flip Mr. Mom, it pairs better following Sassy Gay Friend. Then we go to Violence is Normal and we take a yep. look at how that kind of how every other trope leads to this one.
1: Yeah, and how number seven kind of, like you said, it encompasses all of them in a certain way, too. Right. It sort of has reflections. The gem of the trope has facets of every one of
0: the seven. Correct. God so if it. you're looking on Jen's website, Mr. Mom, is, tired. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Mom is listed as number seven, not number yes. six. And here right. we are in episode six. So um, Jen's description, right? Original idea for Mr. Mom. Do you want to read it or shall I? I have it up.
1: I don't have it in front of me. So since you have it up, why don't you read it and then I'll explain.
0: Okay. Mr. Mom, lol, men can't be good parents. The awful trope of the bumbling dad, nothing more than another child for moms to manage, is the trope on this list that angers me personally the most. Look for some heartfelt, angry rants in this article, readers. That's it.
1: Yeah, okay. So the basic idea is, yeah, it is lol, men can't be parents. Right. And it, so it has two two aspects of that. One is that, oh, no, we left the dad alone with the kids. Right. Or the whole thing about, oh, are you babysitting today? It's like, no, I'm fucking parenting. I'm their yeah. father. I'm parenting. Or, like, this happens a lot, actually, as far as, like, pop culture and entertainment and media go. I say this trope. It, this is really interesting. I see mm-hmm. this trope most often in commercials. Yes. And often commercials aimed at at women
2: correct
1: but really commercials in general it's like oh my husband <laughs> right. he just can't do the laundry but even he can do it with this laundry detergent like all that kind of mm-hmm. bullshit right like men can't be domestic they can't parent by themselves those are actually a real recent one where it's like i don't know if it's a if it's like a It's a smart speaker of some kind. I don't know what brand it is, Uh but it's like, it's like mom going, you're doing great. It's like mom's voice, like giving dad Oh, it's, it's for like, it's for like Alexa
0: or, or one of those home kits or something like Google. Yeah. It's like for, it's
1: like for a smart speaker. Yeah. Or Google home or something like that. So yeah. And so it's just like, you're doing great, honey. Like he's a fucking infant himself and can't take care of his baby pacifiers
0: in the freezer or something like that. Yeah. Remember
1: where things are. And it's just the reason I, I talk about it, how personally affected I get by is because um, my partner, Paul, who we talked about in a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. is a fantastic father. And he's right. actually the nurturer of his family. And he, in fact, I wanted him to come on tonight. But he's, uh, guess what, parenting right now. It's like he can't actually come on. <laughs> and actually part of what he said, which is really funny, obviously he doesn't, he's not going to have time to come on because he's, guess what, being a good father. which. Right. Men in real life are all the time. Correct. Um, so he's doing that now, but he's also like, I also kind of don't want to talk about parenting in front of the people that I'm parenting. <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of like a <laughs> rule of thumb. I'd rather not be talking about. Right. My parenting of them in front of them. <laughs> yep. I was like, you know what? That is a really good point. And since I am not a parent myself, then I did didn't even occur to me. So. Right. And you should know, two listeners, that neither. Jason Quinn Malott, nor I, Jen Zuko, are fathers, <laughs> so we kind of don't have that particular perspective. But um, yep. I, the the men that I know that are parents are good parents and attentive parents, but they still mm-hmm. get the oh, are you babysitting? Bullshit. Right. Sometimes, and they also, right. it, it seems to me that their reaction to this trope is less. It's anger to a certain extent. But it's almost more like, a well, they just have to roll their eyes. They can't really do anything about it because what right. are they going to do? What are they going to say, you know? Right. So it's, the, it's it's two-pronged. It's one, men can't parent, which also turns into men can't be nurturers. Men aren't the nurturers. Moms are the nurturers. Men – but and the, other, the other part of that two-pronged thing is men aren't – Like, they're authority figures in other ways. Like, they can go out to the grill in the yard and do that part, but they can't manage a household that's still women's work. And men can't do women's work. They get overwhelmed. And then the mom has to roll her eyes and go, well, I just have to take care of my husband, too, because he's just another one of my kids, Um, which is Mm -hmm. bullshit. I mean, I'm sure that happens all the time in real life, but it's... It's really unfair to men. It negates mm-hmm. their ability to nurture.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And not only that, but it, it negates their, their strength in, in that kind of nurturing sort of aspect. Right. It limits it limits their access to their children. It, mm-hmm. it makes them think that, hey, being a dad is like throwing the ball outside with your, with your son – You know, you get to be you get to be doing the grill, the grill. And if you if you are the one that has to do the dishes because your wife assigned you to do it, you're going to fuck it up because you're just like another kid. Right. And I think that's just insulting and Mm -hmm. and ridiculous. And uh, yeah, there we go. I haven't actually seen Mr. Mom. Either. I just thought that was a cute name for this trope. <laughs>
0: so. so that and that's what I found interesting is is one, I think kind of the uh, the embodiment, the the err version of this trope is the 1983 movie starring Michael Keaton and Terry Garr called Mr. Mm-hmm. Mom, um, which you haven't seen, have you? No, I haven't. It's if you happen to have an Amazon account, you can rent it I do. for a dollar ninety-nine.
1: Oh, well, okay. Okay, cool.
0: Right. And give it a look. And also I you. I'll I do that when you, I
1: do my research for the article. <laughs>
0: and also that the the Mr. Mom um movie has been rebooted as a as a short series on Voodoo. Yeah. The, the streaming oh, you, yeah, service. You did I sent you a link to, to that. And again, that one's voodoo is free, and you can watch this series for free. Yep. They're like little 10 minute episodes. Um oh, but they it's, are. Oh, okay. Right. So it's real easy to watch. Um have and you it watched a, any of
1: them?
0: Yes, I have yes i have it's um i've watched about 3 or 4 of them so it's it's a short little series and it's kind of this modernized version of the same story husband loses his oh, job okay. mom goes out to support the family but uh the, okay so real quick what i'll do just for the sake of this before i get into kind of my understanding of the trope which is very similar to yours so we're not going to have the kind of disagreement we had with number 5 right good that's but, that's yeah this one should be a pretty easy one right yep So, okay, so 1983 version of Mr. Mom, oddly enough, it was written by John Hughes. Oh, really? Yes.
1: I don't know that I ever knew that.
0: Yeah, so it's a Hughes movie. So
1: so is the series then, does it take place in 2019?
0: No, no, no. The 1983 movie is John Hughes. The the modern 2019 television series, I don't know who's writing that. No,
1: I know, but my question is, so this is interesting to me, though, because then there'd be a very major societal cultural thing because in 83— it was still considered very unusual for the woman to be even out into the working world, let alone being the sole breadwinner. But right. today, that's a lot more common. So I'm just wondering. It's a lot how more common, but that. the tropes
0: are still different. We'll get to we'll get to the TV series here in a minute. Oh, okay. okay but I'm going to give you a synopsis of the 1983 movie. Okay, thank you. Or not a, not a synopsis so much as a as a breakdown of the plot structure. While I'll show you about because this. this is this, like this is said, the basic. It's, okay. The 1983 movie was written and I think directed by John Hughes, prior to getting wow. into his teen movie spectrum thing.
1: Yeah, it's like right before that.
0: My, it stars Michael Keaton and Terry Garr. And at the beginning of the movie, Keaton is a is an automobile engineer. He's a car engineer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And Terry Garr is a stay-at-home mom. They have three kids, two boys and a girl. And what kicks everything off in the movie is, is of course, are, Wait,
1: are they, are they young enough that they're all at home all the time? Or do some of them go to school? One goes
0: to school. The other two are preschool. At home. Okay. One's the 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 little daughter is an infant. Okay. Oh, I see. Okay. Cannot walk on her own. She's got that that's baby, part of baby. one of the scenes of one of the funny scenes in the movie is she's running around in her little walker stroller thing where she's got they're able to, you know, you put them in like a yeah. little suspension chair and the legs just go and they can run into things. <laughs> anyway, um so he loses his job with the automobile company that he works for. Mm-hmm. And they and then so they figure out, they're trying to figure out how they're going to support the family. So they place a bet. And he says that he places a bet with his, his wife won't do it, but he places a bet. He's got a hundred dollars to his, to his wife's $1 that he can find a <laughs> job before she does.
1: Oh! But of course
0: she finds the job first. And so starts working for an ad agency. She had been to college and had oh, all this right. education, had an education, but had decided to stay home and raise the kids because in the early eighties, it was possible to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, you still could get by on one, one income at
0: that time. So, so she goes to work for an ad ag- agency, which is run by a character played by Martin Mull. Oh, Fantastic.
1: Martin Mull. <laughs> right. All right.
0: And you know, there's the, there's when she starts her job, there's the classic thing, you know, the fish out of water. She doesn't quite know what she's doing there. Sure. Cause she's been a woman out of the workforce for so long. And, and, it, and it's just and the ad agency is very much a boys club. There's this one scene right, where she it's a walks, Mad
1: Men scenario probably still. walks into a
0: conference room and it's like the, the conference table where they're discussing some of their products. They're advertising is like littered with fast food. Everybody's smoking, you know, <laughs> and and she comes in with like housewife wisdom. Right. One of the accounts they're struggling with is schooner tuna. They don't quite know how to market this tuna.
1: Oh, and she's like, "Hey, I am someone who watches those commercials all the time. I know exactly the kinds of things that I would respond to." Hey, what kind of wine are you drinking, by the way?
0: Um, it's called embrazen. Oh. Anyway, because you're being brazen. Okay. Yep. I just needed to know. Please call. Um, and of course, Dad (laughs) starts, you know, doing the home stuff. Right. Right.
1: And dad also is fish out of water, right? Because he doesn't know what to do.
0: And he quickly flounders. You know, there's, you know, that has the great scene. Speaking of fish, (laughs) he flounders. Yeah. When did you start drinking? (laughs) Just now. Oh, okay. So anyway, he quickly flounders, and there's a great scene where he goes to do laundry, and he overloads the laundry. He does, he does some weird chemical experiment where he's got detergent and bleach and spray and wash. It all puts it in one big cup and then puts oh, that wow. into the washing machine. And there's this whole thing where the washing machine seems to be alive, and it's dancing around the basement. And it scares the kids, and it scares a, a an exterminator plumber that comes by, you know. <laughs> And
1: eventually
0: eventually the washing machine is so unbalanced that it walks itself away from the wall and disconnects from the water pipes. So there's these hoses flying around and he has to come in and fight it and put it all down, you know? (laughs) So he's busy bumbling through this and she's bumbling through job, but then everybody kind of, then she hits her stride at work, right? Mm -hmm. She begins to contribute and do stuff like that. He, on the other hand starts to flounder and become depressed there's this whole sequence where he's grown out his beard you know and the house is a mess and he's getting uh, addicted to soap operas right oh there's God, there's, that's one really scene, sad. there's one scene there's one scene where where He's stuck in the kitchen. He's got the ironing board in the kitchen. There's just dirty dishes and empty boxes and stuff floating around. You know, he's got the TV on the stove and he's watching the soap operas. And the kid comes in. The kid is filthy. He's got food smeared all over his face. And his dad goes, this, and he says to his dad, you know, you know, this, this grilled cheese sandwich is, is cold and the cheese only melted on one side. So he throws the the sandwich down on the ironing board and f- you know, sticks the iron on it <laughs> and then picks it up and goes, here you go. And this cheese is still stuck to the iron. So he peels it off and gives it to the kid. And the kid looks at it like, what the hell? As if the kid shouldn't already be going, what the hell with this stuff on my face, dad. It's- right. Yeah. Right.
1: I think that was the scene that the main scene that was shown like a lot for that, like yeah. in trailers and stuff like that.
0: And so, you know, um, mom starts to have a big success at work. She gets promoted, um, all this other good stuff. Dad has this, there's this weird mid movie, um, dream sequence where Michael Keaton, um, falls asleep watching the soap opera and this single mother that's a friend of his and his wife's comes by and she's been kind of like hitting on him and, and, you know, she's the one that shows her boobs, you know, down her cleavage through the whole movie or whatever. And she stumbles in in lingerie and a trench coat and they start to, you know, kiss. And that's when Terry Gar comes home and they end up having this scene where she shoots him. And this comedic thing where he falls down on the floor and is supposed to land in the chalk outline of his body. But he misses it by a few inches. So he gets up and, you know, slides over into it. Really? And then there's this scene where the various people that have been around and watched him die come in and say, oh, you know, look at this poor sod, you know, and stuff like this. And he wakes up from that and thinks, I need to get my shit together. Right and so he starts to succeed as as a homemaker but in unique oh. but in uniquely masculine ways they okay, don't show sure. him they don't show him doing womanly house chores like doing the laundry successfully or um or washing the kids or getting them to school he like paints a fence right And he attaches a remote control to the vacuum cleaner, which the wife had dubbed Jaws previously. And he's, like, got the vacuum cleaner just remotely like a robot going around and cleaning the stuff in the house. So he's
1: doing the women's work
0: in a manly way.
1: Like a man, in a manly way, right. right. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. and
0: instead of sitting around talking to the other housewives who are home— you know, doing childcare the way he is, he gets them into the house to do aerobics and exercise. Cause you know, you have to be in shape.
2: Right? Yeah, yeah. And still
0: as he's getting them in shape, he sneaks around the corner at one point to drink a beer. Right. <laughs> um, then what happens, the big cru- crux of the whole movie, um, has to do with mom at work, you know, wins this big account, she steps in at the last minute and saves their schooner tuna account. Because, you know, the guy, the CEO of the company hates every ad idea that's been thrown at him by the rest of the company. And she walks Uh. in and she says, you know, and her comment is, have any of you ever been, you know, in a supermarket and bought this stuff for for your kids? Because your tuna is actually one of the top three most expensive tunas in in the country right now. So if you want to do advertising, and she pulls out, you know, these giveaways that the company tried to get people to buy their tuna and and how they got stuck with, you Uh. know, several hundred thousand glasses that they were giving away and several hundred thousand, like, you know, flower lays they were supposed to give to people for a trip to Hawaii. And they got stuck with it because nobody was buying or entering the contest. And so she comes up with this ad idea to, you know, lower the cost of schooner tuna by 50 cents a can. In 1983, that would have been a huge amount of money. That's a
1: lot. Yeah, yeah.
0: And because it's, it's 83, it's hard economic times. You know, Reaganomics hadn't fully kicked in yet. People were still struggling, blah, blah, blah. And this saves the Schooner Tuna account for this ad agency she works with. And so what happens is they, she goes off at the last minute to, to supervise the filming of the commercial for Schooner Tuna. Tuna. And Martin <laughs> Mull, her boss, makes a pass at her in her hotel room you know, f- complete with champagne or wearing bathrobes, whatever. And while he's doing that, Michael Keaton's character calls the uh, the hotel room and Mull answers it, you know, and hangs up on him. And he's he's convinced that his wife is having an affair with the boss. You know, she's been sexually assaulted, more or less, and has punched Martin Mull in the face because she won't have it, right? Anyway, she punches him and quits, which is what most women should do when they're sexually assaulted, if they, c- if they have the ability to... Um, leave their job, which oftentimes they don't, which leads to the problems that we have. Right, right. Because, of course, you know... They can't she go to HR. <laughs> right. And at the same time, you know, the guy that fired Michael Keaton's character from his job at the automotive plant has been called out for him for cooking the books, basically, for oh. his department. And so he comes back to Mike. So the, the climax of the movie is he comes back to Keaton and offers him his job back, at twice the salary in a company car, oh! And Terry Gar has quit her job because she was sexually assaulted, and are at the end of the movie. You're right back to where you began: husband at work, wife at home. Wife at home. It reestablishes the whole patriarchal structure, and there's a. Have whole, we learned a lesson? Right, we haven't learned any kind of a lesson at all. Oh yeah, okay. It does. It does, in a way, pander to the idea of feminism in that era, in that you know she's sexually assaulted and she immediately you know punches the guy and she's justifiably so nobody's angry at her for punching him because he No, was...
1: but that means that she doesn't belong in the workplace though
0: right and it's almost as if it's kind of condoning this is you know you don't women don't belong here because men will just be sexually aggressive
1: exactly you can't yeah exactly yeah
0: so right. anyway
1: and 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 his and the other character's interesting, more manly ways of doing the housework probably wasn't, like, as efficient or...
0: Well, it wasn't as nurturing, because kind of the kids take a background, you know, seat once he starts to control the house in a manly fashion.
1: Well, that makes sense, like, for comedy. Like, I can see how, right. like, the the emphasis would be on what's the weird shit he's going to do mm-hmm. to control the vacuum or whatever. And so that's, yeah, right. that totally, right, like...
0: Right. Okay, you so see, I'm glad
1: I named this trope in an appropriate way. I was worried that like the movie wasn't really talking about the trope very much. No, so. it's not.
0: Because <laughs> it, it kind of so it does, is. because the way I read the whole Mr. Mom trope, having seen that movie, and I actually just finished rewatching it today, and I've been rewatching the two thousand nineteen series on Voodoo. Nice. So basically the Mr. Mom trope is the feminizing of the male by being demeaned to do women's work, you know, caring for children, being supported by a wife who, in the way that a man would traditionally support a family.
1: That being domesticated is a demeaning being domesticated, thing. domesticated,
0: right. Yeah. And so this gender role flipping is presented as comedy, where the man right. is awful at it, or if not awful, un- he does it in a uniquely masculine manner.
1: Which is funny. Right?
0: Which this turns into comedy, either and he's way, not just
1: a good dad, like, right? You know.
0: <laughs> but here's the thing about it is that in both cases, in either way, it's presented as a form of bottom-up patriarchy that panders to and heightens our idea of misandry on behalf of women,
1: right? And right. This right. Is,
0: this is kind of where I've been thinking about because it, it really plays back into that book we talked about before, "My Enemy, My Love" by Judith Levine. Uh-huh. Right. And misandry in a patriarchal system is actually a safety valve, an emotional safety valve for women. Because patriarchy is all about oppressing the women, decreasing their value. And the way Judith Levine talks about misandry or man-hating is that this allows women a means to carve out an arena of superiority, which is the domestic sphere. Yeah, and within this is
1: the part that, where we do it well and you don't. Like that kind of thing. Right. And so That's the idea. And yeah. so
0: within that sphere, they're allowed to and also the other thing that plays into it is that, you know, since women in the traditional patriarchal structure are dependent upon men, yes. Mm-hmm. They're not allowed to express anger at men. And right. what these subtle forms of misandry where you you infantilize, infantilize men infantilize, within yeah, the domestic you sphere and, yeah. and mm-hmm. you either treat them as, you know, um, in some benignly demeaning way, that's a way of releasing that resentment of being a, uh, a servant basically to the patriarch. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And that's like, yeah, that's what sitcoms do. So many sitcoms, yep. especially sitcoms in the eighties and nineties and so many commercials. And that's exactly it. It's like, like I'm thinking married with children. I'm thinking mm-hmm. any number of like family-centered sitcoms. I mean, some there are some that stand out as not doing that specifically, not doing right. that. But but for the most part, that's the
0: norm. Right. So Levine says um when because when she's talking about she has a series of of these ideas these um well I can't really find it in the book how she describes it. There are various uh, cliches or stereotypes related to men that are that are that fall into this misandry thing. So they're, they're one Does style. Does it has to do
1: with like domest- domesticating them well, being there's... a demeaning thing, or?
0: Well, there's there's uh, three broad categories of mm-hmm. these stereotypes. One is called the infant, and there are versions of that called Mama's boy, the babbler, the bumbler, and the invalid. And these are all various infantilized, dependent, emotionally crippled men that have to be helped in their expression of emotional means Uh by a woman. Okay. Right. Right. Because this is the other thing. It's not just domestic areas where men are seen within patriarchy as being incompetent, but also emotional things women are in within patriarchy it's okay for women to be emotionally superior to men that's their job they're emotional creatures they're
1: they're the nurturers and men can't can't express emotions usually in at least in this patriarchal society they can't express the kind of emotions and and be open with other men the only person often that they can be open with emotionally is their female um like partners the domestic partners and so when they're domestic that's when they're open and 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 in that way so yeah that's that's also that's a good point too and that's a way of getting deeper into this particular trope too Mm -hmm. like you see the trope all over the place but then you also if you think about it in a more deep way which we've been doing with all of these particularly the masculine tropes right you can see how that's um even even deeper if we go there we're like, oh, yeah, well, he's not allowed to express emotion anywhere else in his life. He's not allowed to do that. He's not allowed to right. be open and be weak and be anything else anywhere else except for at home. And usually his home, at least in the patriarchal society, the idea is that you're at home with a yep. woman as the, as the maker of the house, the homemaker. Right. So yeah, that totally and, makes sense.
0: You know, that's that's the interesting thing. This is I think where where feminism um this this unacknowledged ambivalence towards men um where where feminism is is failing to open the door wide enough for men to realize, "Oh no, it is a good idea to reject patriarchy." Because we have these these Man-hating this mis- these misandric tropes directed at men when they step into spheres that have, according to patriarchy, been dominated by women. Mm-hmm. And this this is a good way of showing how. Oh, do you think that Arnold Schwarzenegger,
1: in charge of the kindergarten class, is a Kind of an example of that, even yeah. though that's not a Mr. Mom thing, but that's still the kind of no, like.
0: No, I think I think it would fall into, into this trope. A
1: women's, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that would okay. fall
0: into this trope as a Mr. Mom because he's stepping into particularly as a kindergarten teacher, stepping right. into an arena that is that is almost one hundred percent dominated by women. It's called and a pink
1: collar job, actually, which yeah. I think is amazing. <laughs> and yeah, and it's all utter chaos, and he can't handle it, and all that kind of stuff, and that's funny.
0: Right And oh, that's yeah. okay. and what that does is that is, like I said, is this goes back to this is one of the things about patriarchy is that it does, is that in order for patriarchy to maintain its control and its dominance in society, it has to give those oppressed, primarily oppressed people at least one relief valve, to direct their anger hmm. so that they do not burn the whole thing down physically, which they hmm. should. They should. Right. And it also that allowing that arena and that area for for hatred to be directed at the people at the top also makes it impossible for the people at the top to step into these roles because those those roles are hated. They they this is something that I've struggled with my entire life, you know, is is.
1: Well, the roles are hated, but also you get demeaned. Hardcore right. demeaned if you step into it, well, that's, as a man. What, that's
0: where that hatred is. Is in that yeah. you know, and you already are in a way kind of hated for being at the top to begin with, and then to step down from the top, you're stepping into another arena of hatred and and in, of of uh, into a space where you're going to be labeled as incompetent. This is where I would like to inadequate. ask your
1: all yeah. of your listeners who are of color to step in and give their voices, because I don't really know what to say about that, but I would be interested to hear about. How being men and women, I'm just thinking about binaries at this mm-hmm. point because that's what this trope is kind of about, is about the binaries. Right. Um, how the binaries of color, is it similar? Is it different? Is there anything that like changes about this trope if it's a group that's... Again, like oppressed over again, like another layer of oppression. Well, that
0: would be interesting because we would have a good example of this if either one of us had seen the Eddie Murphy movie Daddy Daycare.
1: Oh, I did not see that. You're right. That's a really good point. Thank you for bringing that up.
0: How does how does how does race change this trope? Maybe that's something yeah. we should watch and and you know, at some point and consider how that would um, affect this. I believe that yeah. was Eddie Murphy, Daddy Daycare. I think, let me, let me I think, double check.
1: I don't remember. I remember the title of that movie. And I, as, as much as I don't want to, like, make my white voice a voice for people of color, I also want to do more research about each right. trope that I haven't written yet, too. So I think that's going to be a very important part. Maybe if I can look at that and go, huh, I think there are some interesting ideas here. Please, readers and listeners of color, I would like you to pipe up and, like, also yep. write with me.
0: Yep, Eddie Murphy, Daddy Daycare. That's another one I think you might want to check out.
1: That was in the 80s, too, right? Was that in his heyday? No, that
0: was 2003, actually.
1: What? Oh, it was really recent. While his wife,
0: Kim, brings home the bacon, unemployed Charlie spends his days caring for the couple's young son. With the help from a friend, Phil, Charlie decides to start a daycare center. Enrollment quickly surges, and as they add another employee, Goofy Marvin, Steve Zahn, Charlie finds himself dealing with endless red tape. Will he be able to keep the business afloat, or will parents defect to Mrs. Harridan's, played by Angelica Houston, her daycare center? Oh my God.
1: Mrs. Harridan? Are you serious?
0: Yeah. It has, it has Eddie Murphy, Jeff Garland, <laughs> Steve Zahn, and Angelica Houston in it. Why haven't we seen this? Wow. Daddy Daycare. Yeah. Okay. So that well, might be something totally to look into related to this trope, you know? Yeah. And I would like to look at other Mr. things It's a definite Mr. Mom type of... of situation.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 And I want to see if if color makes—it has anything to do with this, or if it's just a man versus woman thing in right. that particular plot case. Well, even, even if, if it does—I
0: think even if it doesn't nakedly deal with race, the fact that you are— that it's Eddie Murphy, there's going to be that lens applied to it, sure,
1: yeah, there should be,
0: especially since his primary you know um conflict, his primary nemesis in the thing is a white woman right, which right. is supposed to be the epitome of in mm-hmm. in our white patriarchal society of of motherly competence and 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 you know her
1: name is Harrridan, that's interesting,
0: yeah, I know. <laughs>
1: And I also like to look at alternate um, movies or shows too, like, like My Two Dads. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? I never watched it, but that's a very interesting, co- totally not as pro- nearly as progressive as you might think if you well, <laughs> have never seen it before. But like, you could, stuff you like could that, probably like also you, you could
0: also probably take a look at Three Men and a Baby
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: as a as, yeah, a, as an example too, of yep. the Mister Mom trope.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yep. Okay. Well, this is all fascinating. But I think we just – the trope itself is pretty easy to describe, right? Right. and It's pretty easy to come up with examples, and I think these other alternative examples are interesting too. And again, I do want to see how other types of oppression play into this particular one
0: as well. I think the important – I think the most important angle to deal with isn't necessarily – Isn't necessarily how it demeans men, but how it, within that patriarchal act of demeaning men, it reinforces our our assumptions about women as being the better, you know, child caregivers.
1: Well, it it reinforces gender roles in particular. Right. It reinforces them and, and makes them law. Like the man does not belong in the house. Right. The man can go out in the, to the grill and that's fine.
0: Right. Or he can go to work. but he, or can't. he
1: can go to work and but come it, home.
0: And it's interesting. There was, there was a, um, I don't know if it was AT&T or if it was the local cable company Cox here in this region. I don't know who the cable provider is in Colorado. I don't think it's Cox, is it?
1: The cable, uh, it's cable TV. Comcast.
0: Comcast. You have Comcast there. We have Cox here monopolies It's
1: it's basically Xfinity. It's like it's just.
0: But there was there was a few years ago. There was this thing. There was one of the ads that uh, I th- it was one of these cable companies had, where it was talking about setting up a home Wi-Fi network. Oh right? yeah. And the the mother and the children had that shit down pat. They knew how to do it, and dad sure. was the idiot who didn't know how to do it. Yep. And I'm sitting there looking at that, going. In this family construct, I wonder which one of these three, pe- three people actually has a job in IT. Because of the way they cast the dad, <laughs> right, he looked right. like he was the kind of guy I would run into in an IT department. But somehow and when so he comes home,
1: he can't handle, he can't it. Yeah. handle
0: home Wi-Fi. Because it's home. Because it's handled at home, right? Yeah. And you see, I mean, but you're right, I think, when you say that a lot of this is... You know, there, there are versions of this trope that play themselves out in advertising more than anywhere else. The, yeah, Mr. Mom, sure. the, the husband comes into the domestic sphere attempting to do traditionally, what do we traditionally assume to be women's work and, and failing a miserably or, yeah. or has to do it in a uniquely masculine way in order for it to not, you know, appear to be feminine or less than.
1: Or has to be guided by – like in that Alexa or Siri or whatever the hell commercial that is, like be guided by the mom. The mom has to be there to mother him. Right. And that's the way, only even, way he can yeah. actually do it.
0: Did you ever – there was recently something I saw and, – and people kind of blindly promote this type of shit. There was – I recently saw someone sharing a, a, a meme or something online or they would saw something where – they were like, look at this neat thing this dad did. And what he did was he took one of those giant like shop toolboxes that stands like four feet tall and has all the drawers on it and has a, mm-hmm. a lid that pops open for stuff like this. And he turned this giant fucking toolbox into a, a diaper changing station.
1: Okay. Well, that's right? cool.
0: Okay, I mean, cool. But, you yeah. know, <laughs> fucking baby stores where women go have giant fucking diaper changing stations. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and they look probably a lot like toolboxes.
0: <laughs> but, you know, but it's just so cool that this dad was apparently the implication being that he was so insecure about changing a child's diaper at, a, at yeah. a white or a pink or a baby blue, you know, baby changing station that he had to go out and take a toolbox to make himself feel comfortable changing a poopy diaper.
1: Right. You're right about that. And actually, that also reminds me of the now um, starting to spread Uh, movement of changing stations being put into men men only um public Mm -hmm. bathrooms
0: is there a backlash
1: no well not really no actually it's all it's all seems like it's all very everyone wants it (laughs) it seems like it's all great yeah
0: no that's i would say that's a good thing that's nothing we need to
1: but it's like, like, why is... No, I, I think that's fantastic. But it's like, okay, so that's interesting. So why are there no baby-changing stations in men's bathrooms? <laughs> right. We can, of course, question why there are men's and women's bathrooms to begin with. I mean, not that I want to well, walk in on somebody with their dick out at a urinal, but that's true. beside the point. The point is, if there's just stalls, then you're good. But anyway, yeah. but yeah, it's like, why, why were there never any baby-changing stations
0: in... Men's bathrooms. It's really do don't, Because men don't do the baby changing. Because men used...
1: don't do that. Right, exactly. So I just thought that was interesting too. But yeah, no, that's a good point. There yeah. are,
0: there are, um, I've seen a few baby, ch- diaper changing stations, baby changing, diaper changing, <laughs> you put the baby on the table, <laughs> eh, let's make him purple, <laughs> baby change. Don't change Woo. your baby, your is beautiful as it is. Um, <laughs> what I see in a lot of places around here is you'll have a men's room a women's room and a family restroom. And a
1: family room. No, there's that too, especially when when you have like gyms and stuff.
0: Oh yeah, department stores and things like that. Because
1: that's for that's for like like the dad who has his little daughter. Right. So the dad can't go into the women's restroom, but he can't send his little daughter into the women's by right. herself. So yeah.
0: That's something that that worries me. Is you know. And it's something that we have to have to work on, that we have to find a way to, um, well, one of the reasons, well, we have to break down patriarchy for this reason alone. We have to make it so that men are not by default seen as creepy.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's really what it is too, right? Because
0: whenever you have children and and a single man comes up, everybody's on guard. Right. But But if you have a bunch of-
1: What if that guy is a dad? Like, how come he can't just be a, like, loving- like Paul is a total baby monster. He loves all babies. All babies are his babies. But He's they are creepy. by default
0: creepy to women who don't know them because they don't know what the dude's up to. Whereas women walk up to babies and everybody's like, "Okay, yeah, you're a woman. You yeah, must sure, hold it, hold it, whatever. <laughs> we're, we're not like, going to worry about the me, we're not going to worry right. about the woman that you know wants to touch and squeeze babies because uh, that's what women do.
1: That's what women do. Never don't mind ever give that, me your baby. By the way, never hand me your baby.
0: Yeah, never mind that is just as many <laughs> just. Just as many abductions are committed by women as by men. Yeah.
1: Well, that's because it's easier for women to get away with it. Right. I'm not saying don't hand me your baby because I'm creepy. I'm saying don't hand it to me because I'm not. You're not maternal. I'm not experienced. I'm not maternal. (laughs) Anyway. But yeah, no, that's a good point, too. And actually, I think even more than patriarchy, although certainly patriarchy plays a part in this kind Mm -hmm. of culture, but— but it's rape culture in particular, Oh yeah, not yeah. just patriarchy, but l- but actually the part of this particular kind of patriarchy, which is rape culture, because that's exactly why we assume a man is going to be creepy, especially to a little girl, but to little kids in general is because of rape culture.
0: And rape culture is all about, you know, enforcing the power dynamic, the power yes, hierarchy. Yes, yeah.
1: mm-hmm. Sex is part of power.
0: It's terrorism. It is yes. a form yes. of yeah. terrorism.
1: Absolutely, Catholic priests. <coughs> <clears throat> right. But you know, yeah, but they just it's... they
0: they rape little boys. I mean,
1: that's what I mean. Uh,
0: but this is a different kind of. I'm I'm speaking particularly about rape of women as terrorism. Rape of boys.
1: Rape at all rape is terrorism.
0: Well, you rape at all is ter- is is violence and power structure. But I think.
1: Well, a rape culture is that. And a point at which, I mean, well, it's, it, I don't know, we can go into that. That's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother, nother podcast. <laughs> the rape of boys versus
0: the rape of girls. Is, well, is it, and, is well a, that,
1: s- but also just talking about how the, the male structure, the, the male only structure within Catholic Church and la, 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 la. But anyway, it's rape culture. But yeah.
0: Yeah. The Catholics but, yeah, are so going to like, write why, to us in it, mass right now. So
1: if, okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> I'm bringing it back to the trope now. <laughs> I'm bringing it back to the trope because I don't want to talk about Read because it's depressing yes. to me, but we have to talk about it anyway. But anyway, yep. my point is so, so the Mr. Mom trope. So, is it largely actually pretty much only a comedic trope, right? There is no there's no pathos in the Mr. Mom trope. The Mr. Mom trope is ha ha ha, like, like I said in the paragraph, lol, how funny that the guy is trying to be a dad, right. Right. Because 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 if it weren't funny, then it would be this thing that we're talking about, which would be super creepy, which would be dangerous, which would be any number of other awful things that we can think about that happen in a rape culture. So because we don't want to make to do that, then I don't it's think Mr. Mr. Mom? Mom,
0: I don't think Mr. Mom ties into rape culture at all. Um, the reason that it's that it's that it's seen as funny ha ha is again because this trope does not this trope is not it doesn't
1: acknowledge it's not men's it's not directly it
0: is not a direct way of so unlike a lot of our other tropes excluding the sassy gay friend which goes back to the which is slightly different about switching the focus the focus of this trope again is switched from our first um three or four
1: it's switched to the reaction of others to right. the character as opposed to right. the character himself. Because
0: whereas whereas like sassy gay friend was switched to that point where we are we are established in the patriarchy by demeaning others. Uh-huh. Right? It's it's taking, you know, it's F- feminizing and all that kind of stuff. Right. Where the the point of the sassy gay friend is to is to reestablish the dominance of of patriarchal. Hegemonic masculinity. And not only that, but hegemonic heterosexuality, the yes. the, the yep. standard mm-hmm. of heterosexuality by by casting gay people as secondary characters, no matter yeah. what.
1: Well, that's part of hegemonic masculinity is heterosexuality. Yeah. Right,
0: right. Exactly. This one, Mr. Mom, also is one that switches the focus rather than saying men must be big, must be stoic, must be violent, must be aggressive. Mm-hmm what this what this is doing is it's saying toxic masculinity as we see it in these previous tropes excluding sassy gay friend but Mm -hmm. heterosexuality men as we see them these other things it's okay to mock them in this arena here is the it's it's toxic and it's problematic in that it promotes an idea of masculinity that at one time that on one hand Paints men as incompetent in the domestic sphere, but reinforces the idea that only women are only capable women. and competent in the domestic sphere. Yeah, and what yeah. that does is that is that it reinforces those, those unspoken, unarticulated, misandry, misandric views that, that make women comfortable in accepting the patriarchy. I think the best way to, uh, to kind and of it, get and at that— it, And
1: it reinforces the nuclear family. Um, right myth as well.
0: So here's something from Judith Levine that 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 I went and I found out. This is why I needed an extra 20 minutes. Ah, oh, nice. Okay. So she descri- she writes about it this way: practically languageless. And she's talking about Miss andre, these man-hating okay. tropes, practically languageless, languageless. Gagged by self-censorship, how does man-hating express itself? An illegal alien, even in exile, where does it live? How does it dress and behave? Part one of My Enemy, My Love, Images of the Enemy, explores these questions with the taxonomy of man-hating, a collection of women's negative and ambivalent stereotypes of men. My aim is not to judge the accuracy of any of these types, not to ratify any representation as truth— um, for being stereotypes, none is altogether accurate or truthful, but rather to examine what they look like and what they mean and how they function. Right. Some of these portrayals are almost protective of men, others no less, ...than mutilating. Often, as I've suggested, the uglier aspects of hatred are cosmetically improved. Pity takes on the veneer of compassion. Ridicule dons the finery of affectionate amusement. And sexual Mm. rage is neutralized into romantic sparring or polite indifference. Together, the stereotypes are a babble of competing, often opposite female claims as to what men are like... Their very anarchy is evidence of women's ambivalence.
1: It's uh, I was talking with um, Dr. Bell on the Deconstruction Workers podcast uh-huh. about the problematic badass female tropes. Um, right. We talked about all seven of them in one episode, mm-hmm. and he talked about the very end of it when we were at the end of all of those tropes about what he called—because he's a total scholar. He's like—his entire doctorate, his whole thing is about portrayals of women and girls, especially right. girls, in pop culture— media so he's like a total total fucking scholar about this whole thing and he calls it toxic femininity Mm -hmm. or toxic feminism and he was talking about that it's it was almost in those terms too that was really interesting and it's like where does the toxic femininity come in and how does it how is it a reaction to these like not only these tropes but the other tropes too and like yeah and the basically patriarchy right yeah he called it toxic femininity
0: and one of the things we have to look at when we look at Mr. Mom as a as a toxic masculine trope is the way that through humor, it allows women to express, mask, hide, subvert, and even indirectly refuse to acknowledge their own hatred and ambivalence towards the men in their lives. It keeps them at a distance, at a remove. What this does is that it's, it... it it enables us to keep ourselves from actually seeing the other person clearly right it's it's a it's an act of separation patriarchy the, the misogyny and misandry are both acts of separation
1: yeah and i would say even more than that though what it's doing is it it is removing the man from the domestic sphere though right exactly by yeah. mocking him infantilizing him and or feminizing him it's keeping him away from doing those, that very important work that is raising children, being in the home. That's, that's a lot of fucking hard work. Anyone who's a parent can tell you, Exactly. I don't have that experience, but I can totally see it. I know, I know,
0: both men and women who are working as single parents. And, you know, the idea that
1: it's an insane amount of work. That and men
0: cannot be domestically agile is ridiculous. But what Or this,
1: nurturing. Or, and right. what it, does, it also ties back into the Stoicism one. What was mm-hmm. that, number two, yes. two I think? Um, yep. So it ties directly back into that, too. I think that, that the Mr. Mom trope is directly linked to number two, which is mm-hmm. that you should not be the soft one at home. Right, right. You know, caring for the little babies and loving the little babies and you doing be out all the foraging dirty, and
0: hunting that and that kind
1: of dirty work. Yeah, yeah. your kind of dirty yeah. work is to be strong and to be, you know, the number one trope and to to go out into the world, come back, and expect to be served by right. your wife because it has to be a wife in hegemonic masculinity, right? Yep. And to to not show that kind of nurturing, softer feelings towards your children
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know why why would a dude want to have a diaper bag with little ducklings on it because that's not it's like well you know <laughs>
0: yeah but he would do it if so it had like
1: okay?
2: sports
0: on it you know right had a diaper I mean, bag like, with the Steelers that? logo on it then it would be okay for him to carry it if it was a diaper bag that right. looked like looked like a um, a tackle box right it would be okay the
1: toolbox that you're talking about
0: right, right. yeah yeah. You must code for the appropriate gendered, and maybe we need to go it's through a phase. Codes, yeah. Maybe we need to go through a phase where that's acceptable. Maybe in our idealism, we we are we are cutting off an avenue for, for progress. Do you see what I'm saying? We're, we're 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 making perfect be the enemy of good enough right now, hmm. right? So maybe maybe in order to get men comfortable with the idea of doing domestic things, we need to start doing well. Okay
1: just just let's okay so let's put the changing stations in the men's bathrooms and let's let's right. let's put the remote controls but not on just the vacuums that but, and but not just that you know.
0: okay hey you you've been in like target or someplace like that and you've yeah. been in like the tool section where you suddenly see there's sure. a set of pink tools oh my god right yes
1: right god damn it
0: yes and i i have never known a woman who bought a set of pink, <laughs> pink tools they no, buy the regular fucking we? tools just because they're, just fucking, they're why more they, expensive for one thing. Right. But so
1: what? If, oh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What this if, is, if, I, if I, I actually get my I get my razors from Dollar Shave Club and all of the merch and all of the little literature that comes with the packages and all of that stuff is all totally geared towards men. All of the products are geared mm-hmm, towards men, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And it's just like, look, I shave more of my body than any man I know.
0: No shit. Even men who
1: shave parts of their body, like, I, I still shave most of the square footage of my body. I would be a gorilla if I didn't shave, like, most. No, I don't grow a beard. That's one thing I don't do besides little tiny hairs here and there. But it's like... But yeah, Dollar Shave Club is cheaper, and there's, you
0: know, they're not pink. Yeah. They're you're really not, high quality. You're not paying a pink tax for doing I'm a woman-centered thing. I'm not paying a
1: tax, no. But I'm getting all this like dude-centric like literature around it. And it's like, well, what if we can do that not with pink and not with total like the Pappy Jacks right. fake commercial? But right, what if right. it could be neither of those? What if we could just be like, hey, here's a... Here's a lovely but silver no. gray fucking razor handle that you can have your four-bladed razor with that you need to shave right, your right, entire right, right, length right. of your legs with.
0: But what if but what <laughs> if what if you walked into, you know, that, that section of the store that's geared For um, infants and toddlers, for you know, Mm the the so called maternity section. What if you walked into that thing and there was also a paternity section? Where you hadn't
1: called maternity or paternity. What if it's just called parenting? Right. But what what if you have?
0: Yeah. But just to just to in order to begin to change the view, right. Because it is so hard to get men to step down from the pinnacle of patriarchy and realize mm-hmm. that they actually have a benefit to do that. Because, like I said, we've talked about this before, how much harder it is to come down the ladder than it is right. to go up the to ladder. Right,
1: to strive up, we yes. Talk, yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. you can make all the arguments you want about the glass ceiling, and I agree, the glass ceiling does exist. I'm not trying to say it doesn't, right? But in in a patriarchal society that values you know certain things it's a mo much easier for women to to climb up in one way or another than it is for men to find it acceptable to go down
1: yeah or to call out awareness and stuff like that. It's right. easier for so like so what to if we did have, awareness
0: within the the baby section the parents section of like target we had it we had sh- like strollers and playpens and 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 diaper bags that were that weren't Kind of duty, baby blue or pink, you know. Or had weird little, you know, flowery things on it. And instead, made them look tough. Made them look like toolboxes. Made them look like they had, you know, chromium diamond plate on them and stuff like that. So that guys are like, oh no, I'm carrying around this thing to. To you know, change a kid's diaper. To you know, that has the binky in it, and the and the to make baby sure I have wipes, my and snacks the snacks, and the doodads. Yeah. But you made it look like you know, you know, tactical gear. Yeah. Right. That way, it becomes except. Oh, you're a dad. Okay, so maybe that would stop the. Oh, are you babysitting? No, I've got my tactical baby kit. No, this
1: is my fucking baby. Right? It's my
0: fucking kid. I'm responsible for it. Here's my tactical, you know, survivalist baby bag, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It does take Navy SEAL-like strength (laughs) and ingenuity as far as what I've heard from people who are parents.
0: So did you... Did you see the f- I wish had you did you happen to watch the first episode of the TV series of Mr. Mom?
1: I have not done jack shit. You are way okay. way more um like researched and prepared for this <laughs> ah! essay that I am the one that's going to be writing. Yeah. than I am right now. So thank you for that. <laughs> and Well, I'm going to no. get a hold I'm going to get a hold of I'm going
0: to get a hold of a copy of uh, My Enemy My Love, one of the newer editions and, and oh, get yeah. that sent up to you. It's out oh, of print again, sadly. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. But I'll find one and I'll get it up to you. I think it's important that you give it a read. I think it yes, would I would really inform a need... lot of of these two particular tropes. Some of the well, one of the ones we talked about. This before. one, and which one? Well, I think it'll inform all of them in general. Actually, sure. but this one okay. specifically. Okay. Cool. Just because you know a lot I of. That,
1: I find that Bell Hooks' book, The Will to Change, is very pertaining to number two and number seven. Yeah. Yep. but this uh, this is good. I need I need more research anyway. So this is great. So yes, send but, me one.
0: And then and then you can watch the Michael Keaton, Terry Gar. By the way, Terry Gar is adorable.
1: She's really damn cute. Oh, are you finishing your
0: wine? I'm done. <gasps> well, this bottle got opened at my little um, pre birthday party on Saturday, so I'm just finishing it off.
1: Oh right right. Oh my God, your birthday is tomorrow. Oh my God. Yeah, we're
0: recording this on October seventh. My birthday's hey. on the eighth.
1: Yeah. happy will, you're so close to 50
0: i will finish so i will, fi- okay. will finish my 48th <gasps> trip around the sun and start my 49th
1: oh man you are almost a 50 year old white cis heterosexual male
0: i know Whew. i mean at any moment at any moment the uh God. the fox news watching conservative <laughs> gene is going to kick in and i'm going to no. be unrecognizable right so too
1: <laughs> so too Two of my good friends who are – one of them nearing 50. Well, we used to be a good friend. My ex used to be a friend. Now he's totally not. never want to speak to him again. But yeah. And the other one is Deservedly another person so. who is no longer part of my life um, either for the, similar reasons actually. Not that yeah. I ever dated this other person, but they're both men either nearly 50 or in their early 50s. Mm-hmm. And they're white and they're cis and they're hetero. Yeah. And they just went batshit. And me and my other friend just had this conversation. I don't know if you and I have talked about this too, but um, you know, my other friend, this other friend of mine, was a really good friend of the second friend. Um, mm-hmm. We'll just call him the Scotsman um, okay. to protect the not innocent at all. But um, right. so he was a really good friend of this guy for like years and years and years. So this friend of mine, we'll call him the mathematician. He is—he's um, in his thirties though, mm-hmm. so you know he hasn't quite got to. But but we were talking about this. We're talking about how my how my ex went batshit crazy. He went he went flat Earth chemtrails crazy, right? Wow. And then this other guy, the Scot the Scotsman, turned like anti feminist crazy. Mm. And we're like, what happened? What what happens to you when you're a white cis? Male, hetero, cis,
0: male. Well, let's not overgeneralize it here because I feel no, like I'm but... becoming even more. Listen. <laughs> so
1: this is I... what I'm saying. This is this funny. Was, this was so funny. Is making me tell you about this. So this is what I'm saying. I'm saying yeah. that like if you are not conscious, well-educated, well-read, know and are intimate with in different ways, mm-hmm. not just sexually, lots of women and other types of people than you. Right then you are mostly safe from this.
0: We hope But so.
1: <laughs> there's a point at which, and this is what me and my other friend were like, we're like, why the fuck did that just happen? Why? Why? These people are smart. Like, what happened? Right. And we were just thinking, you know, it's, it's easier to believe that the moon landing never happened in this case of my ex mm-hmm. easier to believe that the moon landing never happened than to believe that with all of the privilege that you have in that, that p- position in life, all right. of those privileges that you are a failure. And True. that is where the meltdown begins. And actually your recent blog post really made me think about that because you're so, you were so reflective and you were so beautiful about just like really honestly looking inside and going, you know what? I just need to wonder, about this stuff. Like right. I'm still going to try, I'm still going to strive my ass off. I will totally will. But like just being able to own the fact that I'm failing and I'm failing over and over again. And me and my partners had this conversation recently too. It's like how devastating that is. And especially when you're in a position of some kind of privilege, no matter what that is, mm-hmm. it can be, it can literally drive you insane or it can be completely devastating and Plunge you into deep depression, or it can make you lash out against other people. It can make you go buy a automatic weapon because it's way too easy to do, and go harm people that you feel are giving you harm. It can so it can make you, you know, go join an incel group where you feel a little bit better.
0: Okay, so what's the positive thing it can make you do? For
1: fuck's sake, what's the positive thing? It can make you do? <laughs> Right, right,
0: right, because that's the thing. That's the thing to hold post. The positive thing
1: is easy, but it's not easy to see. What
0: the positive thing is just to surrender into your mediocrity and die. I mean, that's unacceptable to me, too. That was the thing I was
1: not at all, not at all. And that's that's the thing. Like, yes, you're right. Like, I'm not fucking mediocre. And you can either go insane,
0: so okay, or so for those keep, for those oh. <laughs> for those that are not aware of of what this is, um,
1: I I do have the answer. It's just my, not easy to see when you are in the point at the point that you were in the blog post that I was when I was talking to my partner. That, just a
0: reference, so so the okay. listeners can hear about this. What this is is you'll have to go to my website, my. My website, jquenmalotte.com, go to A Wandering Road, which is my blog, and look up the first Saturday report for October. And yep. there's my random thoughts section of the first Saturday report. They're is, always very is, beautifully is, written. Is too, me by the way. struggling with the idea that I might possibly be a mediocre white guy who got lucky 10 years ago when my novel was published. When your novel was published. And <laughs> I published, have
1: Your to, novel's fucking good, by the way. But publishing has nothing
0: and almost I, nothing to do with being I good. Have to, <laughs> right. And I have to wrestle <laughs> with the idea that, you know, as as society becomes more balanced, as society achieves what what I as a a a democratic socialist and a supporter of of feminists of color believe, which is that if you take if you take um gay women of color right black asian hispanic whatever you want women of color who at their bottom who are at the bottom of our patriarchal structure because they are both um gay women and not white
1: that's three that's not both anyway go ahead
0: well they are uh, they are (laughs) gay women and not white these are the three things because of course at the top of the patriarchal structure is straight white male Yes. So gay, not white, female is at the bottom. If you take those people and you raise them up, you give them the same opportunities, access and privilege that I had by virtue of the luck of my birth. Right. Then you will have a society where you cannot discriminate against anyone because of who they are what their racial background was or how they identify sexually or gender wise or whatever you do that, you make that society, you will have true equality. And I yep. want that. But what that also means is that for a certain amount of white guys, because of patriarchy, they were allowed to ascend to great heights despite their mediocrity, despite right. being below average yep. in, in intellectual regards. They were at least straight white males. So they got, and this is the thing that I'm having to struggle with. That's what that post was about. Is that I have, and of course, the other thing to keep in mind is is the the Antonio Salieri character from the yeah, musical Salieri. Amadeus, who yeah. is who is not the real Salieri, but a fictionalized no, version who fictionalized, turned yeah. who became yeah. insane and jealous with rage. I call him, because, I call
1: him the Richard the 3rd version of Salieri.
0: <laughs> right, because he has he has an awareness, yeah, of talent but his own talent can't, doesn't match it. And, and, so, he, see,
1: and he sees that, t- additionally, he sees that talent in a little giggling, infantile, right. little trickster bullshit, <laughs> which is even more infuriating. He's like this inferior being.
0: Right, so what that post yeah. is, is me wrestling with is this idea that I may have to confront the fact As a straight white male, that my expectations were set so high because of that, were falsely set high for my abilities, my talent, my capacity, were set Mm -hmm. so high that I don't have the talent to reach them. But at the same time, I have the awareness to recognize that. To recognize it, yeah. To recognize that there is talent out there, that, that talent does not have anything to do with race or gender or sexuality or sexual orientation but I may not actually have the talent to, to match my awareness of it. So what then do I do? I can become bitter, right. like Salieri and Amadeus, and I can, I can turn into an evil, vindictive, vengeful, hateful person.
1: And we see so many of them these days, don't we? Or what? Or what?
0: What? What do I do? Right.
1: Well, I mean, there's a, it's a simple answer, and it's, but it's not easy. Yeah. And that's that you just keep trying.
0: But that's not enough because what that that eventually does you 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 have the awareness you have the lack of talent and you keep trying and keep failing you keep trying and keep failing you keep trying and keep failing
1: Yeah but each time you try and fail you learn something Each time you try and fail That
0: I'm, that I'm a miserable a, mediocre you you. white no, guy. This is no, what I continue right so Every
1: every t- everything you write like we're just talking let's just talk about writing since we're talking about you in particular. So every time you write something, but how you learn do you how to take write that? better. Every time you, you make a query letter right. that gets rejected, you learn how but to write a better but if query I, letter. But if I, but if I have no talent, person. it's still
0: not going to reach the plateau that I need to reach in a fully equal society. So what then do I do— to prevent myself from becoming the the kind of m- aggressive, violent, horrible monster that I don't right. want to become. What? Right. How? Right. How? How do I use well, my awareness? How do I channel that awareness into the right means so that this the imbalance between my awareness and my talent does not become toxic? What well, do I yes. do? Okay.
1: Right. so that, right. that I can't
0: keep trying to make my talent more than what it is.
1: No, of course not. That but, just
0: leads to that resentment. But what can I do? Sure. What thing can well, I do?
1: Th- the thing is, is that you're lucky in that you're striving for an artistic type of thing, which means mm. that to get published actually doesn't have much to do with how
0: good you are. Right. But if you want to be read, if you want to be taken serious, if you want to be a part in, in, of that community and engage with that community and 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 because you can't get published, you are continually shut out of that community. Right. So what so do you do to so you, find a niche within that community where you're right, where you're where it, where your talent doesn't matter, but your awareness does?
1: Right. So that's that's what I mean when I say keep trying. I don't mean that you're. I mean that right, there but, are other ways. But for ways my for to, my awareness to, to count, like, I have
0: to redirect where I'm putting my energies, and in, not yes. into my lack of talent, but into something else. So where yes. else do I put it?
1: You put it into networking. You put it into submitting more often than you do. You put it into taking the things that are finished and just getting them out. You 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 put it into but shopping not for agents. Get out.
0: Then agents aren't into... gonna aren't gonna like me agents have well, repeatedly but not But you made have them.
1: to do that you have to do that like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times that's what i mean it's not a matter of can you be a good enough writer to succeed that's not the point
0: no, but that's not the question i asking. especially
1: when you have lots of lot, like this this expanded competition at this point right.
0: but that's not the and question have, i'm asking it, is have, how do i keep going it's how do i find a way to to
1: oh well my answer was how to keep going so
0: yeah. That's not the question. <laughs> that's not the question. Because if I keep well, going. It because do you keep going. You will keep going, though. So, well, like, I'll continue to write. But at what point do I like going, OK, this isn't going to go anywhere because I can't polish a turd any more than I've polished it. You can't polish a turd into gold. It's still going to be a piece of shit. Right. Right. So. Oh, so you're
1: like, how do I know if it's a piece of shit or not? Well, no.
0: No, it's it's what do I fucking do to keep from turning into a bitter, angry, vindictive, vengeful person who goes out and tries to destroy the people who have the talent? What do I do? What do I direct my energies toward that will be constructive, that will allow me to participate in the community that I desperately want to participate in? that will not continue to remind me that I'm a mediocre white guy, but give me a means to where I can be something other than a mediocre white guy. Right. right. Do I, do I need to learn how to manage a business and therefore start a press and publish the people whose talent I do recognize as being superior to mine? Do I become the kind of, do I, um, do I instead become, become a, I'm not they're never gonna get into the teaching thing anymore. And and plus Thank in order you. to teach you have to be published. You have to continue to be published. You have to I that's don't. the way the system works. Well, I mean to
1: yeah, to get any or do kind I, or do of job that will give do I a living to, <laughs> Do I attempt,
0: because I have some facility for, for being an editor, do I attempt to become a Maxwell Perkins and, and admit my mm-hmm. failure as a writer and instead become an editor? But how the fuck? I missed the boat for becoming an oh, editor, too. I
1: don't know how too. to do that. Well, maybe not. I mean, you that's know? not necessarily too late for that. And I don't and, know the answer And to this is the an thing... I would do the same thing.
0: This is the thing, that, because I don't want to turn into that fucking guy, oh, because, because, because... Have you read um, Buckskin Cocaine by Erica Worth? I have not. Um, she was public... That particular collection was published by Astrophil Press, which is run by our friend Duncan Barlow from graduate school. Oh, Duncan, yeah. You need to read that book. Oh, okay. She is incredibly good. But I bring that up simply because I was going to use her as an example. I don't want to be mm-hmm. the kind of person that says... Erica T. Worth stole my spot.
1: Right, right. I do that all the time, especially in the theater world. It's so hard to not do that.
0: You know, sit there and go and point a finger at her and go, fuck that native country. Yeah, you have my
1: job. You have my. Yeah, I know. That would be
0: hideous to turn into that person because I think she is wonderful. I, you know, I've I've been following her a lot lately and, and she has some very interesting things to say about how, you know, um, indigenous culture and indigenous arts are are portrayed and treated in this in in oh. our white society Ooh, and cool. she is fantastic and she is brilliant and I'm very interested in continuing to read her and follow what she says not only because I think she has a fantastic insight into into art and writing but into the way it her particular view of that fits into the culture, which I think Mm -hmm. is true. And again, it feeds into this whole thing. If you take, you know, minority women of color and you elevate them to the same level as white men, then you have no reason. And, you know, I don't want to...
1: There's a bigger playing field then too, though.
0: Yeah. I mean, and like I said in that post, I think it's fucking wonderful. It is how marvelous is it right now that there are so many different voices that... Me, as a straight white male who has has been in a way kind of isolated and protected at the pinnacle, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? I suddenly get the opportunity to pick up a book by someone like Erica Wirth and and experience through her writing some empathetic connection as to what it must be like to be a native woman in this country. What it's like to be a native person of any kind in this country. That opens up this capacity for empathy that— it's is, a huge gift. Exactly, it's a gift. It is a wonderful gift, and I don't want to, because I've reached age, or infirmity, or jealousy, or or darkness, or bitterness, or whatever, to turn into someone that would fucking hate somebody like that. That would be disgusting.
1: And you don't, but but also like it is the whole eons long artistic question, right. which is like, God, I can't hate that guy. Right. But he has my fucking job. God damn it. And like it's nice that now it's not just that guy or that right. white guy or that older <laughs> white guy that has my job. Now it's like some it, it could be any number of people. But yeah, that's that's the eons long struggle of anyone who's in any of the arts. It's like, oh, right.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> it's it's that. And I don't know that there necessarily is an answer to that except just to keep trying. Yeah. And just to keep doing it. Have you seen the the documentary called Who Gets to Call It Art?
0: Mm, no. huh?
1: I would highly recommend that. It all centers around, and I am a little tipsy at this point, and so I don't remember the yeah, name no, no, of this particular guy that it, that it centers around. But it centers around not the, well, because it centers around this one guy, it centers around... Many of the pop artists of the late 60s, early 70s, where the pop art thing was huge, and postmodernist began. Postmodernism kind of began, at right. least in the arts world, but it centers around this one guy who was not an artist. He was a, I would call him a producer. I mm-hmm. guess I, I mm-hmm. should I call him a, a curator, maybe. Maybe. But he wasn't the artist. He was the guy that went around and talked to all the artists and put their work up in various right. places. He right. was the guy who all these arti- artists who were completely cutting edge, doing completely new and brilliant things, who were voices that were not mm-hmm. part of the sort of artist elite. There were the silenced voices. He was like, no, you know what? This stuff's fucking great. I'm right. going to put it up. And he caused lots of scandal and blah, blah, blah. But then he turned into this, like the, the premier art producer of the time and of that particular, uh, sort of branching off of various art movements surrounding pop art. So it's called who gets to call it art. And it's, it just centers around this one guy who is not the artist, but the guy who was always there. He was always there at the artists' parties. He was always there at the poets' parties. He was always there. He was the one who was like, you know what? You're awesome, and put your stuff up. Or you're right. awesome, I'm, buy your, um, you're awesome. I'm buy your work. You're awesome, I'm buy your work. You're awesome, I'm going to publish you. Like he was right. just the sent the the guy who was not doing it, but putting it up. And it was his vision, and it wasn't it wasn't a matter that he he couldn't do it, so he produced it instead. It was a matter of. He probably could have if he had tried and wanted to, right. but he just had this incredible—I don't know what you call—a palate, maybe. Right,
2: right. Just like
1: right. like a culinary person, like he right. had this incredible palate, and he just like he just knew what was good. He knew what was important culturally. And he was the guy that all of these artists that we've heard of, artists like Warhol and Basquiat and all these guys that we've already heard of, we don't hear about. Them. See, I don't remember his name. And the whole documentary <laughs> centered around him, right? Right. Of course, part of it's because of alcohol. But the other part is just that we don't remember him as much as we remember Warhol. Remember Warhol? Right. right. But we don't remember this guy. And this guy was the one who was putting everyone up at this time period. Right. So anyway, I would say I would look at that that documentary. I don't. I don't – know that it's an answer to anything but it, it, it will make your brain be stimulated <laughs> especially as it, as it pertains to your blog right. post and our conversation right now um, just look at that look at this whole film surrounding that guy. The guy not the guy doing the art but the guy making the art happen right right in a different way than producing it
0: who gets to I call the Mr. Mom
1: who gets to call it Mr. <laughs> Mom <laughs> Thank you. We did an alternative title. We Yay. Got it. Yay. Cheers.
0: Right. So there we have it. Um, our our our, quite, our our discussion of the, the ill-formed paragraph on the Mr. Mom trope. We've 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 come
1: Oh, it's an ill-formed paragraph. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Sorry,
0: that was not what Thanks. I meant. No, thank
1: the, you. Uh, thank you. No, that's fine, that's fine. That's cool. Um, cool, 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 cool,
0: cool, cool. The vague, the vague,
1: (laughs) the not quite precise,
0: the not quite (laughs) fleshed out description,
1: the rather bitchy and not (laughs) at all structured (laughs) bare bones of an idea and not even that. Yeah,
0: right. I'm an asshole. What are you going to do? No, you're
1: not. I just made it worse than you did. (laughs) I'm acknowledging (laughs) it. Ill form was a wrong right. word.
0: It was the wrong word, but it was the only one that came out of my mouth. I'm sorry.
1: You know, you're not entirely wrong. <laughs> you're not. You're not wrong. No, you're wrong. Yeah. After, actually, you wrong. You know what? It, I'm like, oh, just, actually, just. You read the paragraph, and I was like, Oh, that was all I wrote.
0: That oh, was all okay. you wrote. That was all I thought it was more than that too. And no, no, that was all I you wrote. I have way
1: more thoughts about it. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, as you've all heard now, but
0: <laughs> I just want you to know that that Here's the here's the fun thing. So, before we let the audience go, if they haven't already departed.
1: We'll never let them go. Never let them
0: go. I just want you to know that I managed to work into a, an essay today. I'm have to, I have to actually look it up because I don't remember the exact word that I used. Where is it?
1: Was oh, this for Voltron?
0: Yeah, it was. It was working on the nice. essays for that, and I had to send them out. And I actually managed to.
1: I'm liking the first one, by the way. Oh, good. I'm glad you did. Send some of the others too. I should submit to him too, should I? You
0: should. Okay. So I managed to work into an essay, you know, okay. So are you familiar with Greg Dully from the get Afghan wigs and.
1: Oh yes. Mm-hmm. But, uh, right. Not.
0: Yeah. Somewhat. He managed to work the word indubitably into a song.
1: Yeah. Oh, which, that's like, right. I was yes. like, mm-hmm. yeah!
0: yeah, that's how you yeah. fucking do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You can work that into into a song lyric. You're pretty fucking good.
1: Uh, Do you know what you're talking about? Yeah.
0: Um, Now, mind you, the word is awfully close to the word prolapse. (laughs) Oh. But I worked the word (laughs) proleptic into a into a proleptic proleptic, which happens to which is related, which is a form of the word prolepsies, which is if you look it up. Let me just find it here.
1: I'm using my phone for this call. I'm not going to look jack shit right.
0: up. I have
1: to do it all? I mean, I could go get my computer, but I don't want to.
0: It was in this section I was writing about the, uh, this stupid fucking left behind series. Oh, God. There we go. Side
1: note, while you're looking at that, I saw a tweet recently that asked the question, what immensely popular um, book series have you never read and are very glad and never <laughs> will and are really happy
0: about that. So proleptic <laughs> is a form of the of the word prolepsies, which is, in rhetoric, the anticipation and answering of possible objections in rhetorical speech or the representation of a thing as existing before it actually does or did so, right? So in, in fiction, particularly by Gerard Genet, a prolepsies is what we would call in the rather more brutal definitions that, that Wayne Booth gives us a flash forward.
1: Okay. In Uh fiction. Okay. Right.
0: And oddly enough, it is, you know, close. It does seem very similar to prolapse, which is like, you know, what can happen to an anus, but. Okay, so I think we better quit now.
1: It can happen to an anus <laughs> it can or it can to happen an to fiction. So, what's your, before we close, just this is a complete tangent, and Heather totally like cut this if you want to. Um, I can tell you what mine was yep. in answer to that Twitter post. Okay. There's movies too, but that's different. So right. what are the book series or book book or book series that are super popular that you're like, fuck that, I'm never going to read that. And I'm very proud of myself for never putting any of the time that I have in this short, short lifespan to that.
0: Well, anything by Dan Brown. So you haven't
1: read any Dan Brown? You just have that I, one I, thing that you get to quote.
0: I have. I, I attempted to read The Da Vinci Code and was so disgusted with how bad the writing was.
1: Um, how how long did you get into Da Vinci Code though? Because it means that you've
0: read a it. A couple of chapters, and then I started skimming it and looking for bad shit.
1: Okay. So I don't know. Does that and count that was as was having kind of, read it though?
0: And that was so easy to do to find bad shit.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. I've read that one.
0: I will never read any, the, any of I that. will never read the Turner Diaries.
1: Oh, okay. There we go.
0: Which there is that go. racist shit. You know about the Turner Diaries, right?
1: I know about the Turner Diaries. I yeah. do.
0: I have not read them either. Inspired Timothy McVe- McVeigh to bomb the Federal Building mm-hmm. in Oklahoma. Inspired the Aryan Nation to try and, uh, you know, start a race war in the 80s and a couple of other white nationalist groups in the 90s to go on bombing and, and bank robbing sprees. There yeah. am. Yep. Not yeah. read that. I don't need to read that shit. Nope.
1: Mine was um, Twilight
0: yeah, you don't need, nobody reads to read that.
1: I am am a fan of, no, lots of people read Twilight. Lots nobody should. of people read that. No, nobody nor should. the Fifty Shades spinoff. Oh, God. Neither, neither no, thing.
0: No, no. I'm satisfied, I'm satisfied having had Gilbert Gottfried read sections to me. Oh,
1: my God, that was such a great <laughs> fucking short. Perfect, perfection. Perfection. No, that that spinoff gives BDSM a bad name. It puts BDSM True. in an abusive light, and that's horrific and terrible and gives so many people who don't know any better the completely wrong idea.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Which, having just come out of an abusive marriage, I'm like, nope, fuck you. I mean, it, you know, nope. But Twilight is kind of the same idea. I'm like, yep. nope, vampires are cool. That's absolutely not cool.
0: Not cool. So that's where I am. What and about you movies? You you should listen to your Mr. Mom about
1: how bad that is. Oh yeah, no, totally. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I think we've I think we've gone on too long and we're a little too drunk. So, bye everybody. Oh, really? Like yeah. that ever happens? Bye. Bye. The Outrider podcast is orchestrated by me, Jason Quinn Mallott, and audio production Magic is performed by Heather Ann Eden. You can find the show online at jquinnmallott.com. And if you would, please hop on iTunes and give us a rating. We'll be back later in 2020 with more miniseries, live shows, and one-on-one conversations with writers, editors, and publishers. Thanks for listening.